Welcome back, everybody, to the Vaccine Conversation Podcast with Melissa and Dr. Bob. We are super excited to be back. I mean, to you, we you probably just listened to the last episode yesterday, and like, so to you, we didn't go anywhere. But to us, we, I don't know, it's been a couple of weeks. It's been a couple of years. <laughs> How are you? I know. Seriously. You look amazing. You haven't <laughs> aged. You look like you've aged two weeks. <laughs> It's this new moisturizer I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, sometimes we record yeah. a couple episodes back to back and then we don't do it for uh, a couple weeks. And it's hard to get our schedules coordinated, honestly. Yeah. Um, and thus the one episode a week we've been putting out for the last few weeks. You're dropping you know, the, the ball. I know. <laughs> honestly, just dropping the ball. I hope everyone really enjoyed our last episode with Nico LaHood, yeah. which was really yeah. cool and, and a very different angle, um, which is looking back, I love all of our interviews. You know, It's mm-hmm. been really, really cool yep. to see the kind of people we've brought to the podcast and hopefully continue to do. I have a whole list of people yes, I'm interested in. Um, one of which is Bob Sears. <laughs> okay. But he is impossible to get a hold of. <laughs> I have sent four, maybe five emails. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, I, well I, I hear he doesn't even answer his own emails. He has people that check his emails for him. While he's then, like vacationing in right, Aruba yeah, or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, hopefully his assistant gets back to me at some point because I would really like to get his perspective on this debate. Yeah. So listeners, maybe that's coming in the future. Fingers crossed. If anybody has a connection, <laughs> a direct connection to Dr. Bob Sears, let me know. And we'll see if we can make it happen. I am looking forward to that, though. Like, uh, in all seriousness, I know you you and I have been talking about, I guess, you uh, kind of like interviewing me, like you've interviewed some of the other guests and, and just kind of asking me maybe some of the tougher questions, maybe kind of getting to the root of some of my my beliefs and opinions. And so, I don't know, I kind of... I welcome that. Do you get to like lie down on a couch and can I, can I like use like something to hypnotize you and say, tell me what happened when you were three? Like, can we start? Is that where we're going to start? Are yes. you gonna be crying during yes, the episode? Yes, I will. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but anyway, that'll, you know what, that'll be in season three sometime. All right. Because I kind of feel like <clears> we're nearing the end of season two-ish. You know, we're almost at a hundred episodes, so... I don't know. I feel like I feel a break coming up. Maybe not quite until we hit 100, but well, we'll see. What I do know is based on what we're about to announce now and kind of talk about, um, we will not be able to be slacking on these podcast episodes because here's what's going on. So there's Corona panic, you know, that's happening right. everywhere. Um, and we talked about this on a couple episodes ago before when it was first starting. Now it's turning into federal and state action steps, which include regulating public gatherings, in some cases, just at 100 people. And what does that mean for us? Well, we have our national podcast tour that is supposed to kick off in two weeks in Texas. And of course, every one of our gatherings is going to have over 100, over 150, over 200, over 250. In some cases, it might be 300 to 400 people. Um, and because of the panic and because of these, the potential of regulations, what we have begrudgingly right. decided to do is to postpone the first six locations on our tour. Right. So anything on the podcast tour that was March or April is going to be pushed back to the end of summer, early fall. We are not canceling them completely, of course. Right. Um, and you can keep your sign up. 
you know, keep your registration, sign up, keep your tickets already. We'll just be using the same Eventbrite pages, just changing the dates. The dates and possibly the venues. Uh, They might change, but so far we're trying to make sure we're at the same venues. Um, We have more notice now to be able to book those in advance. So let me just, again, highlight really fast what this means. It means San Antonio, Dallas, Nashville, and Alabama. Uh, and in addition to that, Washington and Oregon. So all six of those locations, we are going to push you back a little bit. We're still going to see you, but we're going to push you back. So don't worry. Uh, the Washington date has been set. The rescheduled date is now going to be July 18th. And we are going to have an Oregon date uh, either the day before or the day after. I haven't decided yet. And we have a great team on the ground in Oregon that's getting that set up. That's going to be in Portland area. So if you were kind of disappointed that we weren't going to come to a major city center for Oregon the last time around, you'll be happy to know that we're going to be in the Portland area, accessible to everyone, and um, look forward to seeing all of you. It's a great group out there in Oregon uh, for medical freedom. Yeah, and I uh, just want to emphasize, um, I will still be attending the immunity conference as of it, now, I mean, right? As of now, if, if it if it goes forward, so the end of April, April twenty six. That's in um, Ashland, Oregon. Yeah, Ashland, Oregon. There is a healthy immunity conference. It's like two days. A bunch of us are going to be there. I'm I'm speaking there. Um, so as long as that event goes on, I will definitely be there and look forward to seeing all you guys. We just will not be doing our podcasting event. That evening, that Sunday. Even evening. though Dr. Bob suggested he should. <laughs> he suggested yesterday, you guys, that he, well, what if, it's okay if you're not there, Melissa. What if I just record something out there anyway? I was like, oh, the horror, <laughs> blasphemy. It, it sounded like such a good idea, oh, right? My goodness. It sounded, no, but I think. You know how you send a text and you're like, oops, can I get that text back somehow? Because that seems like a, a really foolish idea. <laughs> there was no so, unsending that. So I, I knew that before you informed me how foolish that idea was, just so you know. Well, so I just want you to know if somehow I disappear off of this podcast, it will have been by design and Dr. Bob will kill me off of the show and uh, I won't be returning for additional seasons. It could happen, guys. Just know it wasn't no, my choice. It wasn't my choice. It'll never happen. <laughs> so, so, okay. Could so, you guys imagine just listening to me talk for an hour? <laughs> let's try it. <laughs> so I really hate the fact that we have had so many scheduling changes. I know it's yeah. really annoying that you have to hear on the podcast. Here's our update. Here's our update. But you know what? As any parent knows, this is life. Life has, we have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. We have to adapt. Things change in this movement. Things change a lot because we, we do really require and rely on a lot of people to volunteer their time and effort. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, uh, it gets really hard to make everything solid all the time way far in advance. So a lot of this is go, in, go with the flow, but we're making it work. We're hitting all these places and we're going to fill them up and it's going to be crazy amazing. Um, and the events are going to be awesome. Yeah. And you can just, you know, keep track on our website, your immunityeducationgroup.org. There's a podcast tour dates tab at the very top. That will be where you will find the official information and dates and new dates and new venues if they change. And um, so, you know, stay tuned there. And that, that's where you'll... Uh, and I'll give you an outline. It. Here's the outline. So basically, in May, we're going to hit SoCal. So that's definitely going to be happening. In June, we have uh, New Jersey and Connecticut still on the books for the 19th and the 20th. In July, uh, like I said, 17th, 18th, 19th, somewhere around there, we're going to have Washington and Oregon. 
um, in August, we're going to look to try to get an event for Michigan and Wisconsin um, in the middle of the month. We've got a few weekends in the fall, the end of September and the first two weekends of October, that we are going to try to get all of the rest of the places in there that we had to reschedule, including Texas, including um, Tennessee, um, Alabama and Georgia, and maybe Illinois, if we can work that out. I know you guys have been asking for us. Florida, I'm still thinking about you guys, too. We're trying to figure out how we can make this work. And hopefully we'll be able to end up at the beginning of November, Northern California to finish it off. Uh, we're doing our best to get to everybody. But so now it looks like it'll basically be May to November instead of, you know, March to fall like it was before. So anyway, we make it work yeah. and, and we'll keep you updated. Check immunityed.org, the podcast tour information. And I'll keep posting about it on my page, mm-hmm. like whenever yeah. we're getting close to a time. Um, and if you have any questions about these dates, just message me, message me on Facebook or message us on immunity ed, immunity education group, uh, Facebook page. If you are um, uncertain about whether or not we're coming to you and when that's happening. So we're going to make it happen. Just have to be flexible. Yep. Anyway, that was our update again. It was like what update yeah. number four on the. Yeah. On and the I can't believe, I mean, the amount of work you've poured into this yourself, um, I think it's, you know, is amazing. And I, you know, I, I feel bad that this has happened basically to our, you know, our whole country. We're all dealing with this. And you and I, we don't have any personal fear of, of coronavirus no. itself. It's just the reality of, of how, you know, uh, the whole country is approaching this. And I think we need, we want to be responsible and respectful of that. But we are so looking forward to this. And, and I guess, you know, all the work we put in, it hasn't gone to waste because right. we're doing all the same things. It's just, just a different day. Just, yeah, just change the day. So anyway, we are so looking forward to seeing you guys. So, uh, Hang in there. And uh, what is... And who knows? I might have even had coronavirus. It's like, you don't even know. It's like, we yeah. don't really know. Like a lot of people that have been sick over the last couple of weeks, even even a month ago, yeah, I yeah. think there's really no way to know whether or not that's what it was yeah. for people. Yeah. And even though I'm not afraid of it, like I feel like every kid that I'm now seeing just with a cold, right. a cold and a cough... That could be coronavirus. It's not like I can gown up and put on the the face mask and the the sterile gloves and the gown and see every patient that way. So I almost feel like it's inevitable that that every you know healthcare personnel is, is probably going to you know come across it contracted. I'm, I'm I'm still young and and yeah. healthy and um, well, like we talked about in our last episode on coronavirus, we talked about how kids are just really unaffected by this. We're not seeing complications. We're not seeing deaths. Uh, This is really affecting older adults um, and usually with underlying health conditions. So it's like, again, like anything else, the goal is to keep yourself healthy, not to treat coronavirus. You want to make your body so healthy that if you were to catch coronavirus or influenza or anything else, that you would do so and weather it without complications. Yeah. The goal comes down to making your immune system strong. And I had, um, I'd been taking this, uh, nature's organic tonic thing, you know, from Jocelyn. And, uh, I started, I cut back to like every other day or every three days dosing just to kind of space it out. But I'm totally back on uh, every day now. <laughs> Oops. There's my, my Instagram fired up. I'm back on everyday dosing now just mm-hmm. because I feel like, yeah, I, I need to be at peak health for not if I'm exposed. I almost feel like when I'm exposed, then it'll just be like a nice mild, case i might have to what i'll have to take a week off of work or something well and people remember if it's your your kids could literally have almost no symptoms because they're really kids handle this a lot better so i know people are worried about their children but really it's the kids that are the safest uh in the you know tens of thousands of cases that they've seen kids are just not affected both of my kids had like a one-day fever 
And then from something, from something. Yeah. Um, The same thing that was, it was pretty harsh for me though. It was much stronger for me. They weathered it way faster. And then of course my youngest had one, one day of fever and that was it. And then Serenity had the one day of fever. And then a couple days later, kind of had a little cough come. So I've heard that described from people that were tested positive for it. But she had really nothing else other than that, like nothing that kept her down and out. So, I mean, I know everybody's panicked about this. But for the most part, this could literally just be something that passes like a cold and that you don't really even, you know, it's not devastating for everyone. I know the the media is making this like it's all devastating, but it, it, you might have already had it in your family. It might have already passed through, and you didn't even know that's what it was. Yeah, and um, I want to read something really quick just since we're on coronavirus. It was, it was pretty encouraging to me. Um, it was written by an infectious disease medical doctor, someone who's been doing this for 20 years. And if I just you know really briefly read this, I mean, this has been a doctor who's been dealing with both in the United States and Africa, every possible outbreak there's ever been um, you know, for every, every serious infectious disease. He writes, I am not scared of COVID-19 coronavirus. I am concerned about the implications of a novel infectious agent that has spread the world over and continues to find new footholds in different soil. I am rightly concerned for the welfare of those who are elderly, in frail health or disenfranchised, who stand to suffer mostly and disproportionately at the hands of this new scourge. But I am personally not scared of coronavirus. What I am scared of is the loss of reason and the wave of fear that has induced the masses of society into a spellbinding spiral of panic stockpiling obscene quantities of anything that could fill a bomb shelter adequately in a post-apocalyptic world. I am scared of the N95 masks that are stolen from hospitals and urgent care clinics where they are actually needed for frontline healthcare providers and instead are being donned in airports, malls, and coffee lounges, perpetuating even more fear and suspicion of others. I am scared that our hospitals will be overwhelmed with anyone who thinks they probably don't have it, but may as well get checked out no matter what, because you just never know. And those with heart failure, emphysema, pneumonia, and strokes will pay the price because the ERs are overfilled and they can't get in. I am scared that travel restrictions will become so far reaching that weddings will be canceled, graduations missed, and family reunions will not materialize. And well, even that big party called the Olympic Games, that could be kiboshed too. Can you even imagine? I'm scared those same epidemic fears will limit trade, harm partnerships in multiple sectors, business and otherwise, and ultimately culminate in a global recession. But mostly, I'm scared about what message we're telling our kids when we are faced with a threat. Instead of reason, rationality, open-mindedness, and altruism, we are telling them to panic, be fearful, suspicious, reactionary, and self-interested. Coronavirus is nowhere near over. It'll be coming to a city, a hospital, a friend, even a family member near you at some point. Expect it. Stop waiting to be surprised further. The fact is, the virus itself will not likely do much harm when it arrives. But our own behaviors and our fight for yourself above all else attitude could prove disastrous. I implore you all, temper fear with reason, panic with patience, and uncertainty with education. We have an opportunity to learn a great deal about health hygiene and limiting the spread of innumerable transmissible diseases in our society. 
Let's meet this challenge together in the best spirit of compassion for others, patience, and above all, an unfailing effort to seek truth, facts, and knowledge, as opposed to conjecture, speculation, and catastrophizing. Facts, not fear. Clean hands, open hearts. Our children will thank us for it. Yeah, and he's talking about not just this, but anything, anything that comes out. I mean... Yeah, I think that speaks to to our, you know, how our whole society approaches infectious disease outbreaks. But again, everybody, what happens is everybody looks to treat it. Oh my God, coronavirus is here. What do I do for coronavirus? What vaccine is there? What medication is there? What do I take? This is kind of how our society looks Mm -hmm. at, at... Um, health these days. Here's a problem. What do I take? Nobody's looking at how to prevent the problem. Right. Like in the first place, prevent the problem, work on health all the time, Mm -hmm. make sure health is a priority to you. Why aren't our agencies, our government agencies really focusing? I mean, yeah, they're talking about washing your hands, but why aren't they talking about things you can do to boost your immune system like vitamin D? Why aren't they talking about reducing sugar? Why aren't they talking about eating fruits and vegetables and staying away from processed foods, making sure you're getting a sleep routine, reduce stress, stay away from really crowded areas if you don't have to? Um, I don't understand why that's not even part of this conversation. I've not heard any footage that talks about how to make your body strong. It's just wash your hands, use a mask, and hopefully that vaccine will come out sooner rather than later. This is all what you do after the fact. Instead of really trying to get your body to a place where it can handle any type of germ that comes to it without a problem. I mean, I just, it's beyond me that as a society, we're not guiding our members to sort of live healthier lives by teaching some of the things that are tried and true that people know, you know, can improve our health. They're not talking about that at all. Right. It's just panic, panic. And this is why it can get so out of control. And I've, I've seen people posting going, I bet anti-vaxxers, um, this is what it's going to look like when all the diseases come back, the anti-vaxxers want to come back. Right. They're like, see this panic right. that's happening? With... Somehow people have found a way to take the coronavirus issue and bring it right back yeah. to, this is, an- this is the panic. Now anti-vaxxers, now do you understand like, why you need to get all, you know, your children fully vaccinated and whatever? It's like those two things really don't go together. This is not, you know what I mean? That's not the conversation we're having. As we've heard from the congressional hearings, a vaccine will not be available for the public between 12 and and 24 months. Right. Right. This is according to Peter Hotez and Dr. um, Fauci. Yeah, and they're they're trying to fast track a vaccine, but but that still has to go through the process of testing to make it work and and get get a safety profile on it. But yeah. in that congressional hearing, Peter Hotez, and we should probably do a podcast on it because it's pretty interesting. He was, gosh, he is, he's really a doomsday guy. Like he really tries to paint a picture that the world is ending. And, I, and I've, this is not the first time. He's done this with like each year with whatever it is, Ebola yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. And so he was complaining about how much time it's taking to be able to get a vaccine in development. He was, he was oh. almost pushing the fact of maybe if we could get you guys to override some of the current rules oh and regulations, gosh. then we could get this out to you faster. Is that Dr. Hotez? Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Because coincidentally, yeah. did you know he has a vaccine for coronavirus he's putting in the market? Oh. Isn't that funny? Wow. Considering okay. he's totally usually working in a completely different mm. field, right? He usually works with like intestinal viruses right. or whatever in the yeah. Amazon. Or International you know, parasitic disease. He's doing something totally different, right? Yeah. Coincidentally, him and his team have a, have a vaccine ready yep. to put into the pipeline, and he said there'll be a about five others. So there are going to be about five or six of them that are put into, and then he said, and then it's just going to be 
traffic. They're going to be now, they're going to be stuck in this place where it's going to take time. And he was irritated with the time. He's like, we're going to have to test it on people and make sure it's safe. He said it in a way that was like, (laughs) he was, he was kind of irritated with. And so they're, they're definitely pushing. Yeah. But this is, this outbreak is going to be over by the time of vaccines even here. Mm And, you know, we're, we're going to move on from it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be temporary. This is not the kind of disease that takes hold in a society and then keeps recirculating every year like the flu. You don't think? No, I, no. I, I've heard it's some not. people estimate that's what's going to happen. I don't think so because if you look at SARS and mm-hmm. MERS, the two previous coronavirus outbreaks, they both came and went. So I don't know. It, well, I, I can't predict the future. I wonder uh, if they're going to, um, even if, let's say, it comes and goes, they'll have the vaccine available. And then I think what will happen is anytime there are 50 cases yeah. or 100 cases, they're going to go, remember what happened in 2020? We don't want that to happen again. Yeah. So everybody should go out and yeah. get their vaccine. Yeah. They'll find a way to still probably yeah. connect it. Um, I want to just, I guess, since we're on this subject, this was supposed to be a little introductory thing on uh, on coronavirus. But um, what a lot of patients are asking me in the office is, my kid has a cough, a fever, and a runny nose. Should I come in and be seen? Should I go get tested? Um, do I need to worry? And the answer to all three of those questions is no. Um, the CDC is actually saying if you have cold symptoms, don't go anywhere. Right. Stay home. Um, you can't. Your doctor cannot test you for coronavirus in his or her office right now. Doctors cannot test you. Let me repeat that. You cannot get tested in a doctor's office. The reason is the doctor won't even have a test. The doctor will take a nasal swab. The doctor can only send that to a handful of select laboratories right now. But the laboratories are only allowed to test specimens that came from a patient who was part of a known exposure, Mm -hmm. a confirmed exposure in an isolated quarantine area or somebody who's like in severe respiratory distress in a hospital in an intensive care unit, they're, you know, almost dying from respiratory distress and you're suspecting it. Yeah, they'll test that. Laboratories are not even allowed to test regular healthy kids, healthy adults who simply have cold symptoms. Um, so, so don't even go to the doctor to, to ask for a test. You know, don't go to the doctor. Your doctor can't look at you and know whether or not it's coronavirus. And and so, so again, if you have cold symptoms, stay home. And this would be the time to not send your kid to school with a cold. For sure. I mean, most people, you go to school if you have a cold. You go to the work. You go to work. You have a cold. Maybe I don't. I mean, we don't. Right. Right. But but most people do, and and most people think that's okay. But now with the fact that it could be coronavirus, these are the next like two or three weeks to stay home. In that kind of scenario, where you, whereas you normalize, you normally wouldn't. Don't see your doctor. Now, if you have severe respiratory distress or you are part of a known confirmed case exposure, mm-hmm. then yes, you need to seek medical care and you need to, you know, go, uh, go seek help. But, you know, stay updated on the CDC website or even better, the public health department websites for each state are, are going to be a, a useful source of information. But that's kind of the nutshell so far and how parents should, you know, treat their kids or themselves if they have simple cold, cold symptoms. And it doesn't matter how deep the cough is. I'm seeing some really bad coughs yeah. from the flu and colds, really, really bad coughs right. that does not indicate coronavirus. Coronavirus is about the respiratory distress. You can't breathe. You can't get enough air. You're, you're severe wheezing. You're breathing really rapidly. You're turning like kind of little blue because you don't have enough oxygen. And again, this isn't going to happen with kids. Right. Because right. kids aren't having those symptoms exactly. with coronavirus. Right. So, th- so if your kid has, does have that 
it's probably not that just because that's not what it's right. It could be something else. It could be something else, but that's when you seek medical care. So I, Mm -hmm. I just thought that's kind of the main thing. I think our listeners are probably wondering right now, you know, my kid has a cold, what do I do? And then that's essentially what you don't do. There's, there's nothing to do except stay home. And ladies and gentlemen, those are words from a doctor, (laughs) a medical doctor, a pediatrician, in fact. So this is not conjecture. This is actual good medical expertise. Brought to you live here on the Vaccine Conversation Podcast. You just said I am a, an authoritative source. To them you are. <laughs> <laughs> to them. Oh, so, so today, our topic today, which yeah. isn't going to really take that long anyway, but something we needed to address or I felt we needed to address because I get asked this question all the time. We are going to talk today about the vaccine schedule. Just how many doses is it really? Just how many doses? I see different numbers thrown out Mm -hmm. all the time and have seen that for the last five years, I'd say. I continue to see different numbers thrown out. And um, I did an original infographic back in 2015 that was like this side-by-side list between 1983 and at that time, 2015, it was something that was in our legislator packets in California that we brought to our senators and assembly members to show them and their staff just how many doses that we have today and why there is a corresponding increase on a chart of um, adverse reactions that are reported to VARES every year as well. And so historically... So, you know, you know, we've got in the in the early 80s, early to mid 80s, the schedule is now what we have now is about triple what it used to be in the 80s. And our schedule has doubled even from just the year 2000. So, of course, everybody listening or most people listening, they are aware that in 1986, and we talked about this, there was the removal of liability for pharmaceutical companies that manufactured vaccines. So they removed liability in 1986. Our schedule was about a third of what it is now. Once that liability was removed, you can actually see a linear progression of the number of doses over time. And through the 90s, and especially starting from 2000, the numbers just skyrocketed. So the question I get a lot is, one, you know, how many doses? I keep hearing 72 or 74 or, you know, what's the real number? Um, And also the second question I hear is, how do you get to that number? How do you read doses? If I'm Mm -hmm. looking at the CDC schedule on their link from their website, and I'm looking at this colorful PDF, how do we read that? So we're going to break down both things for you today. Uh, The first thing, how many doses? 69 doses. Okay, it's 69 doses. It was 70 doses two years ago. Um, But when they removed that third dose from the HPV series, it went back to 69 doses. It's been 69 doses since for like the last, I want to say eight or nine years. It's been about the same. The big jump in that number is, of course, annual influenza vaccines. That really makes that number jump um, compared to, you know, obviously the 80s when they didn't have that. But we have lots of doses of lots of things. And you want to read them down, Dr. Bob, so that we have them? I, I'm, we're going to go yeah. through each thing just briefly so that if you're at home or you're kind of writing this down and you can walk it through, you can see on our website. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, numbers are hard and stuff for, for some people. But, uh, um, yeah, we're just going to, I guess, kind of break it down from, from birth moving on. And um, I think – one way some people get confused is some people include 
the four pregnancy vaccinations in that number. So that would be the flu shot and also Tdap, which are two different injections that now universally are um, advised for every pregnant woman. That's the equivalent of four doses. So again, big, huge thing to pay attention to. DTAP is three doses. MMR is three doses. Tdap, as you get to be over seven years old, is three doses. You cannot count a single injection as a single dose because it's not. They've just combined it. And now with today's five-in-ones and six-in-ones, that is not one vaccine that your child is getting. It's getting five or six. They just put that into one syringe. So keep in mind, as you follow along with this, and you can follow along our infographic on immunityed.org, under it's just in, under educational info, tools, yeah, educational tools, and then infographics, right? And um, so I think the people that say seventy four vaccines mm-hmm. or seventy three, they include the pregnancy vaccines because they feel like you give the shots to mom, and then that vaccine is going to make its way into the baby's immune system. So they're going to count those four doses as four things a baby's getting. We personally don't count those doses because. You're technically not giving it to the baby. The baby's, you know, not getting that injection. The baby's maybe getting the tiniest little components of that injection through the mom's bloodstream. But to me, that doesn't count as four doses. And and not to say that it's not affecting the baby at all. But when we talk about the schedule, we're talking about the CDC childhood schedule. So that that is assuming the child has been born. And from that point on, again, not to say that the other stuff's not affecting them negatively. It's just not what we include in our totals. Right. So the, so the first three vaccines are the hepatitis B vaccine, those three doses, birth, one to two months, and then like six to 18 months or something like that is the time range, time frame. So happy three doses, rotavirus, three doses, some brand, one brand only does two doses, but the more popular brand does three doses. Again, that's not an injection, but it still mm-hmm. does count as a vaccine. It's an oral vaccine, right. but it's still each one is a dose. So those are three doses. Right. So Rota 3. I'm writing these down as we go. We're going to add them up. Melissa will add them up really quick at the end. Hib, Haemophilus influenza B is four doses and again starts in infancy. Uh, PCV, pneumococcal vaccine, is four doses. All right. Polio is uh, four doses. Three during infancy and then one as a booster during um, uh, kindergarten. And remember, polio used to also be an oral vaccine, but Mm -hmm. now it's inactivated as an injection to keep from creating new cases, which was what was happening with the old version. So in this version, it's inactivated, but you'll get four injections over your childhood. Right. And then the DTAP, diphtheria, tetanus, whooping cough, you get five of those throughout your younger childhood, three as a baby, one as a toddler, one in kindergarten, and then you get the 12-year-old Tdap, essentially the same vaccine, just lower dose components of, of some of it. So that's six diphtheria, tetanus, whooping cough doses, um, seven if you include pregnancy, but six. But six you could write six injections of that triple vaccine, so mm-hmm. it's six times three, 18. Melissa is 18. Melissa's so you're the getting, math person. You're getting 18 doses right. of the, your DTAP series and Tdap series through your childhood. From birth to 18 years, you'll be getting 18 doses total out of your six different injections. Right, exactly. And then MMR, you have at one year and five years, measles, mumps, rubella, that's three vaccines in one injection. So you're getting two of those. So that equals six 
vaccines. So six doses right. that you're getting. Chicken pox, you get two of those doses, so that equals uh, two vaccines. Hepatitis A, you get uh, two doses. All right. Um, and then meningococcal vaccine, you get two doses as a teenager. And then HPV vaccine, you get two doses. You used to get three. Right. Now they're recommending two. Right. If you... Um, and then if you don't get HPV until you're older, like 15 and older, they do recommend three right. doses right, for that. Right. But the general CDC schedule, getting the shot when you're 11 or 12, calls for two doses. So you add up all those numbers, and then what's left are the flu shots. Right. Right. And and so basically... Starting the, at six months right. and seven months. Remember, you're getting two different doses of influenza vaccine your very first year, and then after that, approximately every 12 months after that. Right. So you're basically, the way I count flu, you know, flu shot doses for children, it's basically one a year for, I don't know if you're going to count 17 years uh, or 18 years. It's basically, I count it to 17, I okay, think. Okay, so 17 doses, and then and then the, the two infant doses, you know, at six and seven months of age. So Really, depending on how old you are, it's going to be basically roughly 19-ish doses. I think that's the number we used. Um, you can see this again in our infographic, yeah. all listed out in a very simple, linear fashion. Um, and and it adds up to 69 because we've done this like a bazillion times. I'm counting them really quick. So 50, yeah, 69. <laughs> You're right. So so 69, I think the, the difference is whether it's going to be 70 or 68 or whatever – that fluctuation would really come from are you getting all 19 flu doses? Well, also or, sometimes are you getting 18 because you're you you don't get those infant ones or, or you're 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 not old enough to get them as an infant. So, but yeah, I guess to me the most solid reliable number is 69 based on 50 doses of everything else and 19 doses of flu shots. I think some people are inaccurately using HPV as three because they haven't like been mm -hmm. updated. This changed uh, early 2018, I think, um, is when we changed it. So um, you just have to kind of keep up with the CDC and, and what ad adjustments that they're making. Sometimes they'll have, you know, an ACIP meeting and they'll be talking about something like Japanese encephalitis, right? And then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, this is going to be 75 doses as of next year. But a lot of times things that they add to an adult schedule as optional are not the same thing as what's required mm -hmm. or recommended on the childhood schedule. Now, the reason it's important to know this childhood schedule one, as a parent, if your child is fully vaccinated or you went on schedule and just went to your well-visit appointments, you might not be aware this is how much your child got because your pediatrician is not highlighting every single one of these uh, these doses. They tend to kind of just go, oh, you have two injections today or two shots today. Right. And people think they, their child got a lot less than they did. Yes. If you look at your child's records and you have followed the CDC schedule, your child was born after the year 2000, like you'll see most of these doses showing up whether you knew it or not. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and we'll lead this into our next um, episode too, one of the things I find really interesting is how little parents know about what their kids are getting and then what they're requiring everybody else to be getting their kids. Like they, they're demanding everybody else, you know, fully vaccinate their child, not really even understanding what that means. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But 69 doses, it's important for you to know this um, because you want to know what your child's getting. You want to know what your friends and family that are fully vaccinated, you want them to know exactly what their child's getting. Right. And you want to be able to communicate this to your friends because, again, 
part of everyone's mission is to educate your friends when they have, you know, new babies, young kids, and they're thinking about getting vaccines. Um, their doctor might actually tell them, oh, yeah, you're only getting two shots today. Mm-hmm. And um, and what they don't realize, especially if the doctor is using the new six and one, the new six and one is going to be DTP, uh, polio, hep B, DTP, polio, hep B, and HIB, yeah. like mm-hmm. six of those in one. And then the only other shot to give is, is pneumococcal. And then the rotavirus is, uh, is, um, like a, by mouth, right? Am I am I getting them all? Six, and keep in seven, mind, eight. You're not actually getting smaller doses of each of those no, when you no, get no. it combined. Right. So it's not like you're just getting a little bit because they put it into a multi injection. Right. We're talking the same amount as if every single one of these was an individual injection, but just into one syringe. This is why it's not accurate to call that one vaccine, because you're. It should be the number of vaccines should be exactly equal to the number of individual anti you know doses, right. different diseases that you're vaccinating for. Yeah. And you'll hear a lie from some people that say, if you get these five in ones or six in ones, you actually are getting fewer chemicals, fewer components. That is so far from the truth. The, these components are all the original individual vaccines that they've always been making. They just group them together, Mm -hmm. all the same chemical amounts. And um, the only thing you're getting less of is the saline solution that's used to dilute it all, the salt water. But everything else is, is the same, and it's in, maybe in some cases more. But I think it's useful for you to make sure your your neighbors with young kids, your family members, show them the schedule. Make sure they realize how much it is so they can start to think maybe this is an overload. Maybe this is more than I really am comfortable you know, letting my baby have versus the, them, you know, just believing their doctor when they say, oh, we group them all together now. So now you only need two shots. Right. You, you need to be educated as yeah. a parent. It's your job to make yeah. sure you're very well informed on this issue. And then a lot of people will, two other things, a lot of people will say, well, I went to the CDC schedule and that's not how I read it. And so the CDC PDF mm-hmm. that you can find directly on their website for the immunization schedule birth to 18 years is kind of confusing. It's There are a lot of different color blocks. And what they do is they basically have blocks of time that you and your pediatrician can decide between an age range to get a vaccine. So it's not listed always directly under 12 months or directly under 15 months. And that's why it can be kind of hard to read. But the reality that we are seeing in well-visit appointments is you have traditional vaccines that are given at certain intervals. And um, they don't really think parents are going to come back if you do a couple of these one month later and a couple of these two months later. So they've gotten into a new routine where they clump everything together because they're afraid parents will not return. So you're getting a lot at 12 months where it wasn't even originally supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be some at 12, some at 15, some at 18. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing people giving them all at 12 months, which is a huge overload because you've got in that appointment, you have four live virus vaccines just in that one appointment alone. Yeah. And then they throw hep A, another Mm DTaP, a hip and a pneumococcus and maybe even maybe a polio a flu, or a flu and maybe even a flu yeah and a flu shot. I mean they can throw so many together that 12 month appointment whereas uh and a lot of large HMOs will do that right instead of giving you some of those at 15 and some of those at 18 months like most private pediatricians will or can if the parent comes right. to them right. and says hey I'd like to spread these out but for an average parent who doesn't know even how many they're getting they're not asking to spread them out because they don't even really know what their child's yeah. getting And so you can go to the CDC website directly and look at this PDF. Again, it's a little bit confusing. 
I encourage people to look at the small print. Oh yeah, totally. Because there's information there mm-hmm. that your pediatrician does not know. Yeah. Does not know. Recommendations like, and I think we talked about this once, recommendations on the rotavirus vaccine. For mm-hmm. example, if your baby is 14 weeks, the CDC says there's no need to start the series at 14 15 weeks. 15 weeks. Oh, well, it used to be 14. Weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So 15 weeks. I know for my daughter, she was at 14 weeks when we started. And I'm like, if the guy would have just told me six days, like she's breastfed, she's at home, she's not in daycare, no siblings bringing home anything. If I would have waited six or seven days, I could have avoided three doses that ultimately went on to really upset her digestive system. Like many people have problems with the rotavirus vaccine that actually causes a lot of digestive distress in those kids. And, um, And he didn't tell me anything about that. I mean, we were so close to the point that's in the fine print at the bottom of the schedule, along with something like DTAP saying after seven years old, DTAP is not recommended. There are doctors that are not adhering to that rule and they are willing to give kids DTAP past the point of where the safety studies have monitored. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. So you as a parent need to get really, really familiar with the schedule, familiar with the fine print. You need to make sure your pediatrician knows all of the fine print and that you're doing everything the best way that you can. Um, But if you look at our infographic, it will be everything you see on that CDC block schedule, but written out like a linear in a linear form, which I think is a little easier to understand. But I promise you with 100% certainty that our infographic is accurate, completely, completely, completely accurate. And it's entirely based on the cdc.gov schedule. It is not exaggerated. It has not been altered. It is not trying to make it look worse than it is. (laughs) This is literally a CDC schedule written in linear form. So you can be 100% confident that if you were to share this infographic with anyone, including your doctor, it will be 100% accurate, which of course is what we always do. But the schedule is a, this is something people need to know about, and it's a big deal. And then maybe, Dr. Bob, you can talk to the, the second thing that we hear in relation to the schedule, which is this idea of antigens. You'll see people yeah. kind of counter this big number going, well, actually, you're getting much fewer antigens than you used to get. Um, they've just found a way to, to give them to you differently. So it's actually, quote, less risk, even with the higher number of doses. So maybe you can explain right. that. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, those who um, are vaccine injury deniers and those who push right. for mandates. Right. They use this as the reason to try to convince you that you don't have to worry that the schedule is expanded. You know, don't, don't worry that the CDC schedule looks so huge now or, or our infographic has two long lines, you know, lists of, of tons of vaccines compared to the 80s. Don't worry because they'll tell you the number of vaccine antigens is way, way less as if the number of antigens is what's responsible for what makes vaccines safe or not safe. Right. And, and that is so far from the truth. So first of all, the antigen issue comes from one vaccine. It comes from the DTP vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, whooping cough, the old whole cell vaccine that used to have the entire whooping cough germ in it um, had I think a couple thousand antigens. So I think it was in the thousands. Antigens are basically proteins. So each germ is made up of, you know, many tens of thousands of proteins potentially. And then the, the whooping cough germs were made up of, I think, a couple thousand proteins. And so you literally could say the old whole cell 
DTP vaccine had a couple thousand antigens in it, and that was a huge load for our immune system to to uh, to deal with because the immune system is going to actually attack every antigen. It's going to be reactive against every one of those thousands of proteins. And so you're giving that vaccine and the immune system's going crazy. And that's some, one reason why so many people reacted so poorly to the whole cell uh, you know, DTP vaccine. So when they changed it to the acellular, where they took almost all of those antigens la- out, and I think they were left with maybe five antigens out of those original thousands, the new uh, acellular DTaP vaccine, only five antigens, now they could say, well, now our whole schedule, instead of having you know many thousands of antigens, it now only has you know, five from the acellular. And I don't know how many are in the rest of the vaccine, if there's maybe 100 or so from the whole schedule total. But if you take every single vaccine added up, you know, maybe it's a hundred or so antigens. That is technically less than the thousands that used to be in our schedule because of the old, you know, DTP vaccine. But they try to trick you into thinking that makes the new schedule way safer. And there are no data on that. No one has done any research to show that giving 16 vaccines in 69 doses is so much easier on the body because they've reduced the antigens of one vaccine. One of the There's vaccines. no information on that. So they, they don't have a, any research to stand on, but that's where that argument comes from. And, and so now that you know where that came from, you can try to, you can better counter that argument saying there's no research showing that the fewer antigen, larger schedule is um, any safer than the larger antigen, smaller schedule, so to speak. Well, ironically, that's how you want to say it. they don't have any safety information on the schedule at all because they're not, right. they're not even, you know, studying the schedule, the cumulative schedule. But so again, if somebody says to you, well, we have a smaller number of antigens now, just remember they are using that as if that relates to the entire, all the vaccines on the schedule. It's relating to one vaccine. So out of the 69 doses, even if you were to remove that one vaccine, you still have 51 doses of the same number of antigens that Mm -hmm. have, have always existed. So that's really a manipulative argument, I think, a way to make something look like it's not. And the truth is, is, there are, there's really no way to argue for why there are so many vaccines on the schedule. I honestly think there are so many that are optional. And maybe if mm-hmm. you live in a certain place with a high prevalence of that and your child's in daycare and not breastfed and there are a lot of factors that could, then maybe that's a cost-benefit analysis for you to do that series. But every single one of these vaccines is not necessary for every single child uh, in the United States. Um, we know many of these are really optional. The number of doses really don't necessarily need to be the way that they are. Um, there's a way to do things differently. But again, nobody's really having that conversation. Right. So you can find our infographic on immunityed.org. You can find the CD schedule on cdc.gov and just search childhood immunization schedule. Uh, they are both saying the exact same thing, just in different forms, and they are it's a completely accurate. We also list, um, I put the pregnancy doses in italics at the beginning so that you're mm-hmm. aware that those are there. Um, 
But again, the number is 69 doses on the childhood schedule for 2020. And we have our new infographic up for that. And hopefully this helps clear up just a little bit of why and how you count them and all the questions I tend to get on my posts whenever I write about this. This was also a truth post, truth post number 36. Um, If you want to see this um, on my Facebook, you can hashtag search in your Facebook bar. Um, hashtag truth post, any of my numbers, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up to 40, I think is my last one. So you're not going to, you're gonna have a really hard time going down my feed um, to get to them. So if you just in the Facebook search bar, hashtag truth part 36, you'll come to this post and hopefully that clears it up for you. Now you tell me you can search Facebook posts. <laughs> you know how many times I scrolled down? I have a long looking. feed too, because <laughs> I post a lot. Anyway, that's it for this one. We're going to hit you with the next um, episode about people who say vaccinate your damn kids and what that means. And that's going to be our next one. So you won't want to miss that as well. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.